Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're looking at Scream 5, or Scream, as it's called in theaters. Uh, the reboot sequel is out. We went and saw it, and we got hot takes on whether or not it's worth your time. Uh, we're looking at, oh God, what's the other movie we watched? Don't Look Up, Don't the look Adam up. McKay film. So memorable. <laughs> Netflix. It's been out for a few weeks, but it's a slow time at the movies. It's January, and nothing is coming out. So we gave it a watch, and we're going to let you know what we thought. Uh, and speaking of nothing coming out in January, we got a preview of things to come the next couple months of the movies and i'm gonna be honest it's it, almost exclusively february there's nothing coming out this month andy what the hell's going on it's it's dry it's a drier january than normal oh it certainly is uh but we've got some things that are worth talking about and we're gonna to get to that in the middle of our show and before we get to all of that we need to talk about the news our first story this week out of the box office, spot, Scream dethrones Spider-Man with a $34 million holiday debut. Wow. Just last week, I was talking about what uh, what was going to come out to knock Spider-Man off the top. And apparently, it's Scream. $34 million, uh, coming out of the pandemic is not too bad for an opening weekend. Yeah, it's it's kind of the first success of the new year. And it's uh, this is over the four-day weekend into Martin Luther, Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. It was $30 million for the three-day weekend. Still uh, a ton of numbers, and uh, the other big story with that is that Spider-Man is is now crossed the 700 million mark uh, domestically, uh, which is the only the fourth film uh, ever to do that. Uh, so that's behind Star Wars: The Force Awakens, Avengers: Endgame, and Avatar. Uh, so a lot of big box office kind of history being made. Man, four weeks at the top, Spider-Man No Way Home was sitting. Um, that's pretty outstanding. And like you said, uh, it's now set in records uh, historically. Fourth biggest film of all time, right, domestically, yep. which is bananas. Um, I don't only, get out, <laughs> only out four or five weeks now as well. I, I'm a little ashamed to say we do a movie podcast, and I definitely did not see Spider-Man taking out, taking out a top five spot of the highest grossing films of all time. But here we I are. Yeah, I mean, honestly, even the 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 execs didn't like they they were predicting you know 130 million in the opening weekend and did 250. Like they, no one was expecting it to be as big of a hit as it was. We knew it was going to be big. We knew it was going to be popular, but not w the what it, the kind of business it's done. Yeah. Additionally, last weekend I uh, saw Sing Two doing pretty well. Uh, the children's animated singing film uh, is still hanging out at number three. Uh, female action spy pick the three five five got knocked down to. Uh, just movie, a little over a couple million for the fail. weekend. Yeah, not not great in its second week. And uh, the King's Man is hanging out way down on 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 number five. So a slow weekend at the movies. But for what it's worth, uh, Scream I think turned out some surprisingly good numbers for the for the fifth film in the franchise. Even if they do have the classic you know name yeah. that they just brought back. Yeah. Well, horror seems to be the one thing that that's also pandemic proof as as well as superhero fil films. That's yeah, true. Timeless, timeless storytelling. Timeless horror. On. Yes. Uh, our next story: Daniel Radcliffe is set to play Weird Al Yankovic in a bio <laughs> in a biopic uh, about the comedy singer songwriter. This came out today, and and it's been a bit of a slow week on the news side. Uh, but I'm interested in talking about this one just because of the casting choice. Uh, what do you know about this, Andy? So. Uh specifically for the roku channel there's gonna be the the weird it's gonna be called weird the al yankovic uh story um daniel radcliffe i think is a really versatile actor um we were talking about maybe he could play the next wolverine because he's got the beard uh who knows this could be a, a crazy casting for him but i i think it would be difficult for anyone to really embody that that person 
Daniel Radcliffe might have one of like the best setups as far as uh, a career goes, right? Because he'll have Harry Potter money forever. So he never has to like work hard <laughs> for the rest mm -hmm. of his life. Uh, but additionally, like he can take whatever role he wants and he can do like, he can kind of go in whatever direction he chooses. So he's doing roles like Swiss Army Man uh, and, and playing Weird Al in a Weird Al biopic for Roku. Why not, right? What the hell? Good for him. I, I, I envy his position. Uh, he's got to be a monster at the negotiating table. And, and this, uh, this story is pretty funny. One, uh, Eric Appel, who was one of the co-writers of the script, he said, when Weird Al first sat me down against my will and told me his life story, I didn't believe any of it, but I knew we had to make a movie. Like, this is in the, the press release. This is hilarious. It's Oregon. true. Yeah. Uh, it looks like the, the, sh the, the film will be based on, like, a funny or die special, or like a short that Ankovic and Appel produced in 2010 called Weird the Weird the Al Yankovic story starring Aaron Paul and a couple other people. Um I definitely kind of forgot about it uh, and then I went I went back and watched it just earlier today and I, I do actually remember watching that spot um a few years ago. So if you want to get an idea of maybe the tone, there's like a 3 minute short, <laughs> like a fake trailer for this fake movie that they made 11, 12 years ago now that's now getting produced into a Roku film. Um, I hope they can hang on to some of the tone too, because it, it, it looks funny in a, in a way that I think is sufficient. So, so, I think it would so, work. Right. So one of the things that the description of the film is it uh, explores like his, his early meteoric rise, but also his torrid celebrity love affairs and famously depraved lifestyle. I don't think that's super accurate. Like, I don't like, <laughs> no, well, I don't know if that's tongue in cheek or not because yeah, Weird Al is is known for being kind of really pretty clean humor and not really having, you know, this kind of scandalous life out outside of his career. Right. I I think it would be at least the the, the twenty ten short plays like a spoof of. Um, any music biopic, which is funny because I, I I initially thought it was spoofing Bohemian Rhapsody, and it's like it's got ten years on that movie, and like the trailer plays out a lot like Bohemian Rhapsody's plot. There's like a record producer who's like, nobody's ever gonna buy your music, son, and he's like, I'm gonna <laughs> do it anyway. Like, yeah, it's a whole yeah, thing, yeah. and um, awesome. I I you know whatever, <laughs> like it'll be a harmless movie. Maybe we'll get some good memes out of it. It'll be all right. Uh, one more thing here I wanted to say before we close this one out is is Weird Al Yankovic's quote about this with the with the press release. It's perfect. He said, when my last movie, UHF, came out in 1989, I made a solemn vow to my fans that I would release a major motion picture every 33 years, like clockwork. And I'm very happy to say we're on schedule. <laughs> if he makes it to the next 33, it'd be amazing. Yeah, like picture, picture perfect for Weird Al. Uh, and, and one more story before we move into our review of Scream. Uh, being that it's a slow news week, I wanted to talk about a couple of minor announcements. And those are that... Uh, uh, there's a couple big movies coming to streaming services. Uh, specifically, uh, Ridley Scott's The Last Duel is available on HBO Max right now. If you've got it, I've got to watch it on my ago. phone and send it <laughs> and send it to yeah. Ridley Scott himself. That's right. Yeah, take a screenshot, um, a selfie in the mirror while you've got it minimized in the corner of you watching <laughs> Last Duel. And picture in picture, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, To much to Ridley Scott's chagrin, uh, that film is available on HBO Max uh, right now. Uh, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley is going to be going to HBO Max at the beginning of February. So in just, just a little under half a month, if you haven't seen Nightmare Alley, it'll be available over there. 
And uh, what's this last one? The King's Man, yes, is going to be available on Hulu February 18th, halfway through the month. Exactly one month from when we're recording today, actually. This is this is pretty cool because this is kind of the first we're seeing of these shortened theatrical windows, these 45 days, six weeks, uh, roughly, of um, things going to streaming service. And I, I don't think Nightmare Alley is technically 2021, so it would have fallen under the previous deal like it, it, they could have done the same day release but they, they yeah. held it but um nightmare alley i feel really bad for because it, it, it was a good movie but it came out the same day as spider-man no way home and there was like no way anyone was ever going to see it like up yeah. against that um, but it's, it's yeah it's definitely worth, worth seeing it it's a good good uh good time we, we should definitely do it for this show once it's available on streaming yeah it's um it's definitely something i'd like to watch uh, i mean we talked about it a little bit a few episodes back right you briefly gave us yeah. a little something on it yeah um but yeah maybe maybe when it's out we same thing with the, the king's man like that'll that will be be just short of two months <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'm looking forward to watching that one i did not hear good things well, yeah, we didn't watch it on the show but yeah i kind of yeah i heard it just kind yeah. of mediocre now we'll see what happens. Hey, speaking of mediocre, we got movies to talk about. Uh, That's I, right. Wes, Wes Craven's Scream series has been dormant ever since he passed away uh, of cancer in 2015. Uh, Scream 5 is the first film back at the franchise. Andy's going to take the summary for this one. Andy, please uh, take it away. Scream. This isn't funny, Amber. Would you like to play a game, Tara? So this is the sequel reboot to the, um, I guess, fourth installment, now fifth installment of the Scream franchise. Originally came out in 1996, directed by Wes Craven. Huge, huge hit, which kind of uh, deconstructed the slasher genre while also being a great slasher itself. Classic film. Long time. Uh, so we find ourselves in this one back in Woodsboro. Woodsboro. I don't remember the state, Woodsboro. And, Woodsboro, um, uh, yeah, uh, Illinois, the, the, out of Indiana, I don't know where they're at. The, go- the Ghostface Killer is back on the loose, and right. uh, we, we got a new a young cast, like all sequel reboots, we got a young cast of characters and also some old uh, classic cast members coming back to uh, try and survive the film and solve the mystery of who's, the, who's, who's behind the, the mask. Um, we're introduced to uh, newcomers, uh, Melissa Barrera, who plays Sam Carpenter, Carpenter, who's very, she has a very much like soap opera level uh, shoehorn into this film. Um, and the opening, and her younger sister, played by Jenna Ortega, um, Tara Carpenter, who has the famous opening scene, which Scream has become really famous for for its uh, opening uh, kill scene. Um, so it's it's a similar movie though that we've seen before. I haven't seen Scream three and four, um, but it, it's it's all the same things are happening there there's a killer on the loose people are dying you don't know anyone could go at any time you got to survive the film you try to figure out who it is who the killers are and figure out who's gonna die and that's uh that's the film and that's back where we're at we have a bunch of new new sorry the old comers are nev campbell courtney cox and david arquette and uh some of the newer cast i mentioned melissa barrera jenna ortega along with jack quaid jasmine savoy brown and mason gooding uh were some of the other ones who i just watched last night i rewatched book smart last night and he's in that as well Oh, dude! I rewatched Booksmart like a month ago. That movie holds up so yeah, it's good. So good. Hulu. It, watch. Check out Booksmart on Hulu. That movie's solid. <laughs> Booksmart's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Anyway, sorry. Booksmart plug in the middle of our screen review. 
So what do you think, Zach? So I don't think I've seen Scream 2 and 3. I feel like I saw one way back when I was a kid, and I saw four when it came out in theaters because I was in college then. And that was supposed to be a bit of like a reboot kind of new new thing with them. Hayden Panettiere, I think, was in it. Uh, but Scream 5 is supposed to be like a reboot sequel kind of thing. And for like, like a lot of this movie does not work for me. Um, it's a little too long. Um, it's got efficient pacing that I'll talk about when we get to kind of direction. Um, but it, 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 it kind of spends a little much too, too much time being meta. But at the same time, like I had a unique brand of fun with this movie that I don't yep. often feel in slasher films. Um, and that made it better than I thought it was going to be. And I'm, I'm pleased to say that. Like, I was a little skeptical walking into Scream 5, right? Like, how good is that movie going to be? But um, it kind of came around, and I'm excited to talk about it. Andy, what do you think? Yeah, that's that's about how I felt. Like, it's it's not good by, by what we would think of a good movie, like good plot characters, all that. But it is fun, and it is entertaining. You know, it's a slasher film. You don't We don't watch slasher films for, you know, deep... Uh, philosophical things in cinema they're they're fun it's like when i was thinking about this earlier it's like when you go see king kong like godzilla vs kong you're there to see big monster fights you're not there for the plot or the characters you're there for and that's what that's kind of how scream is like you're there for for bloody murders and the mystery of who's the killer and right meta and some meta jokes yes um that's what we get this is the first Scream film not directed by Wes Craven. Uh, this, this was directed by, I've got to get their names down because I was looking at them earlier. Uh, Matt Bettinelli-Olpin and Tyler Gillette. Uh, they are the directors of Ready or Not, uh, which came out a couple years oh, ago. Yeah, starring we, some, yeah, Samara Weaving. Which, which we reviewed on the show. Yes. Uh, these guys are diehard horror fans. They, 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 they are directing partners that have been doing horror kind of their whole careers. That was their first big theatrical film. So they were very excited to catch a piece of Scream and produce something that felt a lot like Wes Craven's original kind of tone. And, and the original pitch of Scream, which this one kind of reiterates on, is we've got a killer on the loose in Wordsboro who's a huge fan of scary movies. And the characters in the movie, all the teenagers going to the high school who are, who are you know, under threat of, of getting murdered by Ghostface, this killer, talk about these scary movies and, and who the killer might be. And they develop this set of rules that they believe the killer is following based on scary movies they've seen. Wes Craven wrote and directed the, the script based on his history with scary movies, producing films like Nightmare on Elm Street, right? Making stories about teenagers having sex and getting murdered in the woods or it at home. And this original Scream movie is supposed to be a response to that. Scream 5, being a sequel reboot, has to carry a lot of that weight because you have to kind of retread on that again for a new audience while also paying tribute to what came before. Uniquely, I think it does an okay job walking that line, but I think the meta script, the characters in the film talking about the film and the, the rules of the killer and who it might be creates this kind of fun whodunit in the movie that I think makes a lot of the dialogue interesting and it keeps things moving in a really pleasant way when characters aren't getting running around, running around, getting murdered. Like it actually makes the script mildly entertaining for most of the movie to me. Yeah. Yeah. So the series, I don't remember when they did this, but there is a kind of film within a film. Um, there's a film called stab based on the killings in Woodsboro. And so they're like referencing the film within a film. And I mean, they make just a, jokes like oh stab eight was directed by ryan johnson and everyone hated it but it was really master like there's a lot of a ton of like meta commentary meta humor this is also i i was this is like the scream awakens 
because it's doing the same thing that the force awakens did it's like yeah. we're gonna we're gonna remake the movie a little bit with the old and the new and hopefully uh-huh. people uh w- won't notice um yeah it's 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 fun and it's silly yeah it is like ultimately and and i think the things that worked for me were the bits that felt fun and that was namely um <laughs> Ghostface running around the killings. Murder, murdering obnoxious teenagers. Almost all the teenagers in this movie are horribly unlikable. And I'm convinced, obvi- I, I think that's on purpose. Like, I think the directors of this movie, the people writing this, know what they're doing. They're making a movie with insufferable teenagers. <laughs> and you end up kind of rooting for the killer a little bit. And in that way, <laughs> this movie's a ton of fun. Like, it really is. Um, I, I, I found a lot of the tense scenes exciting. Um, a lot of them play on your expectations and, and our two directors spend a lot of, of time crafting classic horror scares like a like a, a camera cozying up to a mirror and somebody pushes it forward and you expect somebody behind them they do a lot of stuff like that but it's effective because you never know what's coming around the corner and it makes the ghost face killer feel tangible it makes him feel human and and that stuff's good that's good setup it's good direction yeah i was gonna say the uh, the body horror is, is pretty is, is really good there's a lot of yeah. um, there's a lot of gruesome scenes um, which I think makes up for w- one of the big criticisms is that this movie's just not scary at all. Like, uh, <laughs> yes. it just doesn't, like, you're never yeah. scared. And that was the thing about the original one. The original one w- was kind of poking fun at, at slasher films while being an excellent slasher. Like, that one was profoundly scary. Um, like, And that was back, you know, when you, you know, wouldn't have spoilers out the next day. Like, nobody realized that, that Drew Barrymore... Cause she was on, she's on the poster and she's a big part right. of the, the production. She dies in the first, in the opening scene mm-hmm. in, in a really gruesome way. Like no one was experiencing that. It's I, I compare it more modernly to something like hot fuzz, which is making fun of the like cop action film while being a great cop action film. Right. And that's, that's a tight line to walk because scream ultimately has to critique itself, right? Like it has to look back on what came before and talk about what this, what this is supposed to be, this new iteration of a ghost face in Woodsboro. And there's a whole new cast of characters, like you said, who have theories and one of them's a movie nut. And she's like, Oh, here's the deal. And here's what this is about. And they compare them to the older stab films. And then they go and find our older cast, right? Courtney Cox and David Arquette and Nev Campbell. Uh, they're pretty all right in this movie. I, I think David Arquette might be the best performance in the whole thing. He's delightful to watch on screen because he's got a limp and he looks miserable. <laughs> yeah, so, and they shot it. They shot it in his house for sure. Like <laughs> they just met him at, at the trailer yeah, like, he lives yeah, in. Yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah, this trailer they, park will work. And great he's great. He, he he's very fun in the movie. David Arquette's great in this movie. So this this leads to another criticism I have that the the cast is really big. Like you have a, like five or six of these younger people and these older people, and everyone. The problem is you don't the movie doesn't know who to give who to be the main character to or to who to give screen time to. And so like you're introduced to this young, hot, fresh new cast in the beginning, half of them go away until act three. And then like, you also have Nev Campbell, like she's on the phone at the end of act one and she disappears again until act three. Courtney Cox comes in the middle of act two disappears for a while again. And everyone comes back in act three, but like people, a lot of people just disappear completely for like half the movie. Right, and and that's a that's a, a problem because Scream kind of wants to have its cake and eat it too. Eat it too. There's a couple too many characters in this movie who almost get murdered or don't actually get murdered or look like they get brutally stabbed to death and then somehow like show up at the hospital in Act Three and they're in they're in a bed alive. Like it it does that one too many times and it leaves a couple too many strings in the plot uh, and it makes it too damn long. This movie's what two it, hours twenty it, minutes. 
No, it's just under two hours. It's just a, under it's two. Long, it's a long two hours. God, it it really feels like it. And and the parts of the script that work are the who done it, right? Who 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 could it be among this friend group who's doing all this, right? Who's the mm-hmm. who's the killer uh, among the sheep? The stuff that doesn't work, I think, is anything that's like trying scared. to walk yeah tr- okay hold on <laughs> i'll get to the scares trying to walk too far back on itself and talking about the old films there's a couple scenes with like courtney cox and david arquette like hashing out their characters whatever and like i so didn't care like i, I don't care you know just get to the get to the goods we're past yeah. all this i i, I it's, it's an important tribute but ultimately not not effective yeah I, again it's, it's the same issue that the force awakens has and more recently ghostbusters afterlife that where you're trying to introduce new young characters but also get star power and, you know, from the classic characters, then you end up not really developing anyone because you're there, you're trying to put throw everyone in the kitchen sink in the movie. Yeah. And additionally, like you said, go, go, the movie has a problem. Ghostface isn't scary. It's somebody walking around in a spirit Halloween mask in a costume <laughs> in a bag. Like, that's not scary. And, and, and often Ghostface is attacking people like in the middle of the day when they're at home alone. So there's like sunlight beaming through the windows. Like, it's just not, not a particularly scary thing. Uh, the tension comes from when you don't know where Ghostface is, right? Calls, the killer, the, the, the calls coming from inside the house. You don't know where they are. That stuff works. As soon as Ghostface shows up, it's a laugh. I laughed almost every time Ghostface came on screen. This movie passes the Bechtel test. There's a couple of decent like moments of tension. If you're watching us on Facebook Live, I've got a screenshot up of Ghostface in the hospital with this like, low-key lighting. That stuff's cool, and I think those are moments that shine through because of the new director's. But like fundamentally, Ghostface is not scary. So they make up with that with make up for that with long scenes of, of kind of scary tension, and then definitely overproduced body horror. There's a lot of stabbing in this movie. A whole, whole lot of stabbing. <laughs> There's a lot of stabbing in this movie. Stabbing, Gratuitous stabbing. amount of stabbing in Scream Five. Okay, um, I, I have a so question. How, how how soon did you uh, guess the killer? Oh, dude, I called it last week. Oh, man. Well, I had my call last week on the podcast. I, I, I was going to say, yeah. You actually, I shouldn't confirm call- whether or not that was it because we don't do spoilers here. But I want to say I feel confident about my decision. And throughout most of the film, I assume that's what was going on. I couldn't really piece it together. And there were still a couple twists I in no way called. So I cannot, I cannot mm-hmm. claim A plus I figured it out by any means. Um, but I think I had a couple threads of being correct simply from the trailer. Uh, yeah, and I- that's important. I, I call I called uh well I figured it out by the end of Act One. That's what I'll say. Did you really? Yeah. I went and saw it with Christine's brother and he he grabbed onto something in Act One, some little detail I didn't see that sure enough by the end I was like, Damn, you were totally right. Like, yeah, so it's and it's fun. Like in that way it works as a slasher. You're looking for clues throughout the film. Who could it be, right? Like that that whodunit portion of it is pretty effective. Um unfortunately Ghostface is very scary, and that's a bummer. That uh, does remind me about some of the plots. So our person who's attacked at the very beginning, uh, Jenna Ortega's character, Tara, um, you know, she she is attacked, but she survives the this uh, the opening scene and she's in the hospital. And that, that's what what uh, causes her estranged sister, um, Sam, played by Melissa Barrera, to, to come into town. And so there's this weird like kind of sub family drama thing of like, where were you left five years ago and I haven't seen you and you haven't been a part of my life and now you're yeah. back and I don't know how to feel. And there's like all this like family drama BS going on. And I was, I don't care. Just let me see more stabby. 
Right, but if Jenna, if, right, and if Jenna Ortega's character Tara Carpenter had actually died in Act One, then we wouldn't have had to worry about all that, all that garbage. Like it's <laughs> that's that's the problem when you keep characters alive in a slasher movie. You have to you have to find a way to tie up that Chekhov's yeah. gun. So this movie does a pretty good job of managing it. Overall, I'm I'm surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Like it's it's dense. It's a little too wordy in the script. It's a little too long. But like. It's a I, of, I liked yeah. it so much more than something like the Child's Play reboot. Oh, like, God, really? So yeah. Good. So much better. There, there was a great scene in the opening scene uh, where, where he, he attacks uh, Tara. Um, you know, she, she gets injured. She's, like, crawling on the ground, and she's trying to claw away from him. And, and there's this great slow-mo scene where Ghostface enters the, the frame in slow-mo in all his, like, Ghostface swagger and glory. And I was like, that's yeah. a really, really nice shot. Yeah, there's a there's a great scene uh, in the third act when one of our characters discovers they're in a in a setting that they didn't previously they're they're in a lot more danger than they had previously thought, and we get this great like cr- pull out shot of of a camera pulling back and doing this like turn like something out of an it movie like really cool really 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 good bits of like clever cinematography in this movie um, that come together surprisingly well, but ultimately. I don't know, Andy. Are you ready for recommendations? <laughs> I'm ready for recommendations, yeah. <laughs> All right, Andy. Would you recommend Scream? I would recommend it to fans of the series. If you're a big screen fan, I mean, it's definitely for you. You'll you'll like it. It's it's not particularly scary. The plot doesn't make a whole lot of sense. There's too many characters. Like, there's so much wrong with this movie, but it's still fun. Like, uh, again, it's like the Godzilla thing. You're going there for certain reasons. You're going there to to go back to Woodsboro to, to uh, guess who the killer is, see who's going to survive and who won't. Um, and it, it's fun. It's the kind of thing like watch it in a group, make a drinking game out of it and you'll enjoy it. If you have not seen any of the scream films, you're probably not, not going to like it. If you're, uh, you know, if you're looking for, you know, elevated horror as they call it in, in the film, um, it's probably not, you know, save it for streaming it in that point. But for fans of the genre, I think it's, it's probably a crowd pleaser. Yeah, I think I'm in the same boat. If you like a good slasher or even the decent whodunit and you can stand a bit of like the the surprising amount of body horror coming out of Scream 5, I'd say it's a recommend. Uh, you don't need to go to theaters to see it. Honestly, I think the best place to see this movie is probably opening night in a theater full of people, right, who are who are all excited and, and joking and yelling at the screen. Like, that probably would have been the best scene. But if you can't do that, watch it with your friends. Get together with a couple buddies, right? Have 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 the gang over, have a couple cold ones, and watch Scream 5. Save it for Halloween. Like, I, I think this one holds up. I like it more than Scream 4, and that's Scream. And we need to talk about movies coming out this month, uh, or the next couple months, in our Coming Soon to Theaters segment. Uh, for January and February 2022. Andy put together this whole list. Andy, thank you. And I'm going to be honest, I'm surprised. I know all of these. I didn't have to go watch a trailer. <laughs> I didn't have to look any of them up. I'm already on them. So how do you want to do, do this? You take two, I'll take two. We'll just go down the yeah, list. I'll, yeah, I'll ta- take the first two. So this... Uh- so the big surprise in our January February film preview is that there's nothing left in January. There is nothing else coming there's out. There's nothing. Month. Yes. Like, there's not even. I mean, there's no big releases. There's nothing like even Oscar films. Like they're all they're all already out. Um, nothing new. Uh, yeah. To see in January. A bit of a bit of behind the scenes for the show. If you're a new listener, um, we you know we put the sh- we put the outline together mostly at the later half of the week to get ready for the next show. Uh, Andy does most of the work on that. Andy's the best. Uh, uh, and there's a reason he's the good, he's the doctor. Uh, but um, 
<laughs> for this coming up list. I was looking at what we were watching next week. He didn't have any picks on there yet, so I stuck out something on there from Hulu, and I thought, there's got to be something else coming out next week. So I went to, like, Fandango.com. I, I went to AMC Grapevine, a- a- close by me, which is a 30-screen megaplex, and what's coming out Friday? What's, what's going to be out that I can see? None of them had anything. For like all of the rest of January. I don't get it. Where are the movies, right? Like I thought we were through this. I think, what, because of Omicron, everything's getting pushed? Is that the deal? Or is it just January and, and, and movies suck in January? Well, I mean, there's that. It is definitely the uh, the Omicron variant because um, Morbius was actually supposed to come out this month. That would have been the other big release for January. And that's getting it- pushed into the spring. Morbius should have stayed because they literally have no, nothing to compete with. Like they might as well have just <laughs> stayed right, yeah, this, right in that this, slot. And and like the comic book stuff is still, you know, Omicron be damned. Yeah, uh, people people will will come out to it. Right. If nothing's out and people are bored, like they might want to get out and see something. Like Morbius might have been, you know, you can get some get some teenagers or something. You certainly won't have any competition. But whatever. There are things coming out in February though, Th- which that's are. Right. Relatively exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So uh, starting on February 4th, we have uh, the kind of doomsday film Moonfall about the moon f- cr- eminently crashing into the earth. This is a big Roland Emmerich uh, director of Independence Day, those kinds of disaster films uh, starring Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, along with John Bradley. And this is a big special effects bonanza. Uh, looks really silly. It has to do with some dark secret on the moon. They got to fly out there to stop it. Um, it'll be a big special effects vehicle. And counter to that on that same weekend is Jackass Forever, uh, which got pushed from October all the way into the new year. This, of course, reunites Johnny Knoxville, Steve-O, and the rest of the crew um, back to doing uh, stunts and getting hurt. And if you've never experienced any of the Jackass films in theater, that's probably some of the hardest I've ever laughed in a theater because it's just, it's so absurd. And like these guys, like they're all, kind of professional stuntmen they all get hurt really badly on screen and somehow it's the most hilarious thing um and that'll be february 4th and i'm definitely looking forward to that yeah how i'm, I'm curious how concerned do you think uh, esteemed director roland emmerich is that his movie is about to get destroyed by a bunch of 50 year old dudes hitting each other with big big yeah. dick bats on screen <laughs> like <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. Yeah, Jackass Forever is going to clean up at the box office. Yeah, and like, Roland Air, he's going to join Ridley Scott. Yeah, you know, complaining about cell phones. Yeah, Jackass is going to be a bunch of old white dudes doing dick and fart jokes for ninety minutes, and it's going to blow Moonfall out of the water. Maybe not. Maybe Moonfall will clean up. Maybe it'll do well internationally. I don't know, but I, I think out of that weekend, I, I would be concerned if I was the producers of Moonfall because Jackass Forever is simple there's not a lot to it it's a very easy concept right it's 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 easy to jump into you don't have to have seen the previous films and there's nothing leading into it right people are going to be hungry for movies all those teenagers are going to want something to go see and they're going to go sneak in and see jackass that's going to be that's going to be the thing i think uh february 11th though has a little bit more going on uh kenneth Bron- well no kenneth Branagh doesn't direct it but he's in it death on the nile the agatha christie adaptation is coming out that movie is a relatively star-studded cast that has been pushed back for god i mean over a year at least yeah um, that was supposed to come out last not last fall fall 2020 <laughs> yeah uh, off the top of my head i know i know it's got kenneth brana as hercule poirot uh, gal godot is in it letitia wright uh, and a few other characters not quite as i don't think the roster is quite as exciting as the previous act that what, what was it uh, murder yeah, on the murder. Orient express right. yeah 
Um, but it's still, you know, star-studded cast. Obviously, everybody's got care motivations, and our, our esteemed uh, uh, detective's going to have to figure it out, find out who the culprit is, big whodunit, and that should be pretty good. Also, Marry Me, uh, the rom-com starring J-Lo, uh, Jennifer Lopez, and Owen Wilson is coming out. Uh, interestingly enough, that movie's directed by Kat Coiro, uh, who is a former director of a couple of Netflix series starring female leads. This is one of her first big pictures, so... It looks okay. It looks like a rom com for audiences. What? I mean, forty and up. Uh, it's it's older. It's it's an older like it's couple. Here and for, that's interesting. It's just in time for Valentine's Day. Yes, you, and you got to the holidays. I mean, how uh, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, J Lo, J Lo, and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lopez, and Owen Wilson—they're both over fifty, right? Probably. I think. I think they're both over 50. So like, that's just that that's a unique feature to me. I would normally say that's something that gets pushed to streaming, but we got to have movies coming out for Valentine's. That's going to be the movie. Marry me. Yeah. It definitely looks like a movie from like the two thousands. It does. Yeah. Very much so. Moving on uh, the following week, uh, February 18th. And these are all in theaters, which is also something else that's very striking. Like we're done with essentially hybrid releases. Uh, so everything's going to pretty much be in theaters from here on out. Uh, we have Uncharted, which is the video game uh, adaptation of the video game of the same name, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg as a kind of Indiana Jones, uh, Brendan Fra Fraser kind of uh, archaeologist adventure thing based on a video game. It looks like a movie. <laughs> uh it, it it looks pretty generic um i'll yeah. probably save it for streaming but uh we'll see it's it's one of the other only big movies and the it, other one it, is go ahead go ahead no i was gonna say it looks a lot like tomb raider that's yeah. what it looks like it looks a lot like shot on the back lot on a green screen you know yeah. a bunch of cgi that's a better description yeah um the other one is dog now i don't know much about this film so zach can you talk about dog yeah, I can actually. Uh, so Dog is a movie starring Channing Tatum and a, what appears to be a German shepherd uh, on a cross-country road trip. Channing Tatum is a former soldier. He's kind of quiet and closed off and somebody gets tangled up with this dog and has to transport him across the United States to get back to his owner or his police base or his veterans association or something like that. Uh, like a Turner and Hooch kind of thing. Looks all right. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't really... It really just seems like a vehicle for, for people to go look at Channing Tatum for the whole movie because he's playing opposite a dog. So you're pretty much looking at one protagonist. Um, but, you know, it'll talk on the heartstrings. Dog owners is, everywhere will love it. Is the dog going to make it? Uh, <laughs> I mean, if it was bold cinema, absolutely not. But probably, yes, I'm sure yeah. the dog will be fine. There'll be some tense scene at the end. They'll think he gets hit by a car. Oh, no. Rush him to the hospital. The musical dropout. Yeah, it'll be okay. Mm -hmm. It'll all work out. The, do the dog will make it. But it's called Dog. That's the movie. Um, and then in, on February 25th, two more films coming out. Studio 666, the Foo Fighters horror film uh, about the titular band, the Foo Fighters, uh, trying to record a new studio album in a, in a haunted house. And Dave Grohl gets possessed. And honestly, it sounds dumb. But personally, I think the trailer looks like it's two steps away from a genuine A24 feature. Um, it's it just, good. it's just goofy enough where I'm like, this almost looks like it would have got picked up by a 24 like, and yeah. they would have run it. Like it's, it's weird, but well, it's uh, almost like know. if, if it were serious, you'd be rolling your eyes, but because it's like this very slapstick approach to it, I, I think it's probably going to be pretty enjoyable. 
Yeah, and uniquely, I, I like that like the Foo Fighters, a band who I've obviously heard a lot of, but I have never really seen, uh, is seemingly all playing themselves, and they all seem pretty humble about it. They're not trying to be like characters or anything. They're just kind of showing up for band practice. And Dave Grohl's like, "Come on, guys, let's go do something!" And then they get I don't know possessed or whatever. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. Maybe it'll work. The trailer looks all right. And then the other film coming out on February twenty fifth is Cyrano. Uh, this is the adaptation of the play Cyrano de Bergerac. This is starring. Uh, Peter Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. I want to say Peter Baelish because that Game of Thrones <laughs> is just on lock, like in my head. I had little finger floating around. Yeah, Peter Dinklage is starring as Cyrano de Bergerac, a star-crossed lover with Roxanne, uh, a woman who uh, sees him for who he is but does not seem to love him the way he loves her. Uh, when a young soldier comes along that Roxanne fancies, Cyrano strikes up a deal with the soldier to write letters as him to Roxanne in Cyrano's wording to, to elicit the love that she hopes she can feel. Uh, and then obviously, you know, it comes out that he's not the one writing the letters and who's she going to pick. Uh, the movie's directed by Joe Wright, which is exciting because Joe Wright's the director of Pride and Prejudice and more recently, uh, The Darkest Hour, starring Gary Oldman as Winston Churchill. Both of those are Academy Award-nominated films. Um, I think he has a couple of Academy Awards. Um, yeah. Joe, I- Joe Wright's no slouch. So if you looked at that trailer and thought, yeah, that looks okay, just know it's coming from somebody who's done big work. So I'm actually kind of hoping it's good stuff. The trailer looks okay. Yeah, the, the trailer definitely didn't sell me on the movie. The, only the fact that, you know, I like Peter Dinklage and Joe Wright also, um, he directed Atonement back in 2007, which is yeah. uh, really incredible, heartbreaking film that uh, got a lot of Oscar noms and I think might have won a, a few. But um, yeah, he's, he's a phenomenal director. And if he weren't attached to it, I would be skipping it. But uh, yeah, we'll probably check it out. Yeah, same boat. If it, if it was anybody else, I probably wouldn't care. But when it came up with director Joe Wright on the screen, I was like, okay, yep, got to go <laughs> see Cyrano, see what that's about. Uh, so yeah, that's what's coming up in February. I'm sorry about January. I'd like to apologize on behalf of the film community for January that Andy and I have no control over. Um, but nothing's Mor- Morbius, happening. <laughs> Morbius continues to let us down. Morbius continues to disappoint. Uh, I get it. They didn't want to be New Mutants, right? New Mutants came out in January, I think, and it, God, went nowhere. So, I, you know, I, I get the fear. And speaking of fear, we've got one more film to talk about. I'm going to be taking the summary on this one, so please excuse my clumsy delivery. The movie is Adam McKay's Don't Look Up. This is not real. This is not real. This is not real. This isn't happening. Don't Look Up is the story of two Michigan State astronomers, uh, played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, who discover one fateful evening that there is a giant comet the size of Mount Everest hurtling towards Earth, and it is nothing anybody can do about it. Uh, They immediately call up NASA, who calls up the Oval Office, who gets a hold of the president, and they end up going on this giant media tour to try to warn the world that there's only six months till everything ends. We have to do something about it before it's too late. Uh, the film is produced in Adam McKay's signature new auteur style that he's been developing ever since The Big Short and Vice, starring Christian Bale as Dick Cheney. Uh, it's a bit of a documentary style feature, with lots of crash zooms, but an improv, and it's a two hour and 20 minute film that is available on Netflix. Star studded cast lots to say don't look up andy what do you think oh my gosh this movie was (laughs) such a chore to get through oh my god i had to watch it in two sittings and i and i fell asleep or i started to fall asleep in the second sitting which i there was only like 45 minutes left to watch and i almost like couldn't stay awake 
Yeah. Uh, it's such a tr- it's two hours and twenty minutes long, which this is like a ninety minute movie tops. Um, also, it's just it's it's supposed to be the satire, but it's not really satire because you're just kind of replaying what we see every day happen in real life, like in politics, in the news. Um, just you're just changing the situation. Instead of COVID, it's this uh, you know impending comet that's coming down and that the president doesn't want to deal with and that everyone wants to deny or you know then there's uh mark rylance plays a elon musk type person who's like oh well maybe we can mine the asteroid and it's it's not really satire if it's like we're already dealing with all these things you're not like revealing something new when i think of something like uh, jojo rabbit which is like a complete like absurdist comedy which is you know addressing anti-semitism and other right. kind of indoctrination like it's taken on kind of serious issues through this really absurd setup nothing is that's absurd because it's like well we're actually kind of dealing with this on a daily basis because you know the film's like oh there's this impending death coming and we're worried about like these pop stars that are breaking them. it's like we we know that that's the world we live in um so so the premise just isn't interesting it doesn't really work the other thing is it's just incredibly boring it's not funny at all it's supposed to be a comedy it's not funny like there there is it's like an snl sketch that bombed like the you could do like a good five minute segment of this and, and be fine but it's just it's just not funny enough like you would need to write all these scenes way more clever or absurd or i don't know what all right, so a lot to unpack there. Uh, first <laughs> off, I pretty much agree uh, with everything. Um, I I laughed more at Scream Five than I did at this handily. Um, <laughs> yes. I, I laughed I laughed twice in this movie at two very identifiable points that I'll tell you about after the show. Uh, it is too long for sure. It's not very funny. Um, it features a lot of improv, uh, and the plot is just just beats the audience over the head. Right, like it is two hours and twenty minutes, which is a lot of movie. Um, about how we're all doomed and nothing's ever going to get better. And this is the way it's going to be. I, I don't do great with movies like this. Uh, and I, you know, it's not, it's not a fault of the medium. It's not a problem with movies that kind of have this like apocalypse message, but like, I think it's honestly, if I can be honest, if I can be vulnerable on the podcast for a second. Uh, when I was a kid, my parents took me to see Armageddon way too young. And I had no idea that the second half of that movie was where stuff went wrong. The whole first half of Armageddon, when I saw it, when I was like six, I, I was like astronauts and Bruce Willis and the American flag. This is great. And then they go up to space and everything goes everyone to shit. Die. Everyone dies. Everything goes bad, dude. Yeah. So ever since, like I, I have a little bit of a problem with like apocalypse movies. I mean, even stuff like, like uh, uh, sunshine, right. This Killian Murphy film, like weirds me out. This movie goes a step further because it's not necessarily just like a science fiction film about a comet coming to hit earth that we have to blow up. It is, it is very deliberately, a metaphor for all of the problems in America. <laughs> like everything. It's not just climate change is ruining everything or we have people who are mad at us in other countries because of everything we have or we have leadership who isn't helping out or doing a whole lot or we have multiple politicians over with their own means or billionaires that, like, it's not just one thing. It's everything for two and a half hours and it's just not funny. Like, it's just sad. And it, it makes yeah. me want to, like, curl up in a ball. Like, I, I just didn't enjoy it. Like, it's like it's like taking your medicine. Ugh. Yeah, and the, the gags are just not, yeah, they're just not funny. They're, no. There is one recurring. So they meet, they go to the White House and they meet this, like, five-star general. And he goes and gets snacks for the group. And he says, oh, these are fi- actually, fi- I had to pay, like, $5 for these. And it turns out he didn't, the snacks were free. And he was just kind of grifting everyone out of, five bucks or whatever 
this is like a recurring joke and it's like it wasn't funny when it happened and it's not funny the other four times you reference it yeah that comes back in the third act <laughs> i was like oh yeah like that one line from a couple yeah okay i guess and that I, ties around and i hate to say it but it, it feels like a netflix film it was like oh it's you, you spent money on getting all these stars on production you and you short you know, like you didn't get a good writer or a great writer and you you know you get you got you got a mediocre writer and a mediocre film out of it well the cast is outstanding and we should talk yes. about them for a minute uh this cast features five oscar winners and two oscar nominees we have leonardo dicaprio jennifer lawrence meryl streep kate blanchett jonah hill mark rylance tyler perry Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande, Michael Chiklis, the list goes on. It is shocking how many big names are in this movie. Not to mention Jennifer Lawrence, who since Darren Aronofsky's mother has been in basically soft retirement. Uh, and Leonardo DiCaprio, who hasn't done anything since Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. These are people who are very intentionally picking their roles. They are choosing to work with Adam McKay. And they're doing this kind of improv movie that I think they're doing because they believe in the message, right? Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has very famously been a uh, proponent of climate change awareness. He has voiced documentaries. He's produced funding for these things. I think Jennifer Lawrence is in the same camp. Meryl Streep definitely is. We watched a Netflix movie with her, uh, Steven Soderbergh made, that was really intentionally like a lens face back at the United States and what we're doing uh, politically. I think all of these people are involved in this movie because they believe in the message um, and what it's doing. But somehow all of the improv comes around and it's just not very funny. Um, and that's okay, right? It can be more than just being funny. It doesn't have to just be a funny movie. Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio is doing a great job. He, particularly at the beginning of the movie, because he is this like scientist who is like having a panic attack because he knows like, though this comet is headed for Earth and it is a destruct destruction level event. If it hits like all life will essentially become extinct or most of it. Um, and so he's like freaking out the entire like first act. Cause he's trying to sit in these meetings and everyone's like, Oh yeah. You know, we, we, we hear doomsday meetings every day. Like no one's taking it seriously. And he's like having a panic attack the whole time. And that's probably the best part. Like he's like shaking and breathing funny. And it's just like, it, it's so good. And then he gets, he gets another scene late. He gets his Oscar moment later where he's you know i you i can't handle it you can't handle the truth moment um and it's just like well now you're just overselling it now you're just going for the oscar um but but he's really good in the beginning yeah meanwhile jennifer lawrence seems like she's getting like equal billing with him i felt like in the trailer you see most of her but for like a large part of the second act she's not really around um i don't know if this was intentional her character just kind of she, she can't handle the panic, right? Like, of we're all going to die in six months. So mm. she kind of just ducks for a good portion of the movie. She's like, I want to go home. I don't want to be on the news. Like, which is, it makes sense. But um, you definitely don't see as much of her as you do a DiCaprio, who definitely is doing, I think, the better job for what's happening in the film. That that brings up an interesting point that I realized halfway through. is like, who's the main character? Who's the protagonist of this film? Because <sighs> half half the time it's Jennifer Lawrence, half the time it's DiCaprio. I think the, I think the protagonist is like in some weird twist the audience. It's like oh, because it's we're we're in all these meetings and we're seeing all these things and it's really a message to uh, like I don't know that that would be my read on what what's happening here because yeah, it's kind of presented in I mean almost like a stage play right? Like Adam McKay is shooting these films with like three at uh, three peep three cameras and everybody's hanging out in an Oval Office set and he's shooting back back across the room and like whatever we catch on on film that's what we got so. 
it, it, it plays as, as almost like a documentary style feature. It feels pretty grounded until you start to see characters like Mark Rylance playing this eccentric billionaire who's like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs, who's totally like out there wild or people are talking about what is clearly supposed to be Apple or Google uh, in, in a metaphorical company called Bash. Uh, and they're like, oh, we're using our Bash phones and calling the Bash line and going to the Bash store or whatever. Um, that stuff kind of works. Um, I, I, I wish they could have been, I don't know, just a little bit more clever about it. I mean, you're right. When you talk about satire, you think of a movie like Jojo Rabbit. I think of a movie like Sorry to Bother You. Like, I think of something that's so much more clever and interesting and, and, and thoughtful than what's going on in Don't Look Up. This one's just a little flat in a weird way. But it's certainly got a budget and it certainly has a cast. Yeah, yeah. Again, they, they've spent plenty of money on this cast. And... I feel like, aside from DiCaprio, everyone's kind of wasted. Like, Meryl Streep doesn't really have a, a great role. role. She, she's playing, like, a, you know, kind of conservative-type president. Yeah. Um, Jonah Hill is her, her son, and, like, yeah, he works at the White House, too. He's funny. He's, he's all right. Yeah, Jonah Hill gets a couple good lines. He, he, yeah, he gets a couple of good lines. Um, but just the situations aren't funny. None of the dialogue is... It's just not... The, the whole thing is just not that funny, and you have these great actors. Mark Rylance is doing a weird... Elon Musk kind of he's not doing, he's doing some weird Musk, stuff, but yeah. he's doing a weird billionaire uh, impression. Um, what uh, Kate Blanchett is kind of like a Fox News host. She's like a slender blonde. I, again, uh, you got the name, but you didn't get what you paid for. Like I saw, she's in Nightmare Alley too. She's amazing in Nightmare Alley. Like you got, oh, really? like you got Kate Blanchett. Like you got what you paid for in that movie. Uh, and this, like, you, you got the names to put them on the poster, and that's it. It's the same with, like, Timothy Chalamet. There, there's no point to Timothy Chalamet being in this movie. He could not be in it. His character doesn't need to be in it, or you could just replace him with any schmo. So, I, a little bit of interesting history about this movie, because I went and looked up some IMDb trivia before the film, before before the podcast. Um, so, they shot a lot of this really, like, shooting from the hip. Um, apparently, because of COVID restrictions, they couldn't get a lot of people on set to when they needed to, or they had to reschedule stuff. So, a lot of the movie, a, a lot of parts of it are kind of just cobbled together with what they had, and I think it comes off as more of, like... I don't know, like an like a production of an Adam McKay play that does an Adam McKay film. Uh, reportedly, Kate Blanchett, due to some scheduling conflicts, couldn't end up getting fitted for a wig properly. So the one she wears in the film is her own. She brought it from like another shoot from her house. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet was supposed to have his hair cut short for this film. I thought he was wearing a wig, but apparently that's actually his hair. And uh, he was instructed over the summer not to cut his hair just for whatever. And then right before they decided to film, they thought, actually, you know what? That looks good. Keep those keep those absurdly long locks. We're just going to roll with it. Jennifer Lawrence reportedly had a tooth broken for most of this movie. And they fixed it in post because she had some kind of like hang up at the dentist or something. Uh, so there were some weird things going on in Don't Look Up. And yeah, it, it comes together. It's just a bit more of like... It's just it feels more like actors standing around rooms like with loose improv and kind of just, you know, a loose script and throwing together improv scenes than it does like a tightly wound feature like Adam McKay's previous efforts, The Big Short and I think Vice mm -hmm. mostly were. I, I feel like those were a little more tight. Yeah, I think uh The Big Short works because, you know, it's a it's a sat it's or it's more a comedic look, but it's looking at something serious which was like the the uh, 2008 collapse and it's uh 
you know, it's very informative if you don't know a lot about like why that happened or what led up to it. It's, the film is very informative, but, but because it's complete fiction, it doesn't have that. I almost feel like this would work better as a like kind of serious drama, like where you have this the impending doom and there and there is no way to stop that impending doom. And you could look at a lot of political this and that or look at social issues or who knows. But I think it would work better as a serious film than what they've tried to do here. Right. Like, I think the satire is just a little too tongue in cheek. It's a little too on the nose for me to kind of kind of play and work and be effective. I got to the end of the movie and I just felt bummed out. I didn't I didn't feel any kind of sense of of like, oh, man, we're you know, we, we can we can work it out. We can do it together. And I know that can make it unique. There aren't a lot of movies that do that. Most movies have some kind of like happy come around that like, hey, you know what? We are making progress with climate change. and It's going to be OK. But Don't Look Up doesn't bother giving you like that luxury. It doesn't bother telling you that, hey, things are going to work out. It's pretty clear, like even regardless of what happens to the characters at the end of the movie, the metaphor for where things are in the world is pretty grim. And like, that's just not a good time at the movies. <laughs> that just isn't that just isn't enjoyable. It's like watching Schindler's List or uh, An Inconvenient Truth. Like, it's just it's just a downer and and <laughs> that makes this just a tough two and a half hour film oh it's so long it's so, so long act, the first act I, I clocked it first act is 45 minutes long yeah which is I I, I, I I texted Andy when I was watching it because I, I I noticed kind of a significant lull um about two-thirds of the way through the movie and I I um, you know, kind of sat up in my chair and, and scrolled my mouse wheel because I was watching it on my computer. And it was it was fifty nine minutes into the film. We I wasn't even at the halfway point yet. It's <laughs> like oh yeah, god, you're like, how, how, how is there... this so long? How is there another eighty minutes to go here? You know, like what what's what's happening? And there's there's no good answer. Um, Adam McKay's new you know kind of kind of style now. It's nonlinear, lots of jump cuts. He'll just throw in chunks of other scenes somewhere as a flashback or a reference. It's it's aggressively unique, and and I think it's kind of worked in his previous features. But I didn't even make it all the way through Vice. This one's a struggle. I I, I think he's finding his own style. I just don't like it that much. <laughs> what what do you think? I mean, what, he's definitely an auteur. Yeah, I mean, it is its own. It, it definitely. I mean, it's funny that that people that will pay you millions of dollars to like figure out your craft because usually Netflix isn't giving you money unless you kind of know what you're doing. And he's just yeah, it it's not really working. In, in it, it, I mean, even the big short, the big short is interesting because of the the excuse me the subject matter, but um, and it's a little bit more more clever, but. It's not like a, a hilarious kind. Like you're not gonna go you, go back. Like we were talking about Booksmart. You're not gonna go back and watch the Big Short regularly, or no. or Vice or this. Yeah. Um. And you know the Big Short and Vice at least kind of worked because you've got historical perspective. You can see the other side of it. You can feel like you know what. Um. That was that was a lesson that I can I can I can get up from my seat and I can leave the theater and I can think okay I learned something I learned something about the government I learned something about uh, Vice President Dick Cheney I learned something about the, the 2008 housing crisis at least as writer director Adam McKay sees it right like uh, I'm not saying these films are gospel but what I'm saying is like you, you can you can get something more tangible from that you can walk away from it you can put it to the side of your mind you can continue about your day this was just a dude this was just a bummer like this, this movie just bummed me out <laughs> like not only because it wasn't funny and it was a drag for two and a half hours but it's just so heavy-handed on the messaging yeah. yeah like and that's that's just not 
that's not exciting. So if that's something you're looking for, it might be worth recommending. But I, I'm curious, Andy, do you have any other thoughts before recommendations? I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Adam McKay's Don't Look Up? Absolutely not. Absolutely. Like hard, hard. The heart is passed. Um, usually we, when we're unsure or a little mediocre or lukewarm on a film, we'll say save it for streaming. Like save it for when you're not paying extra ticket. Don't waste your time. There's tons of other things to watch on streaming. Uh, watch anything else. It is just, it's, it was so long, boring and just a chore to get through. Yeah. I'm, I'm just about in the same camp. If you're a fan of one of these actors or actresses or a few of them. There's Leo's some good. decent work in here. Yeah, Leo's good. Yeah, Mark Rylance, I think, steals scenes. It's hard not to stare at him when he's on screen. Like, my God, he's he's so weird in this movie. Um, you know, like, yeah, you get some decent lines and, and some decent acting from folks, but it's just a long feature and it doesn't, it just takes too long to get where it's going. And by the time it gets there, you just don't even want to, you wish you had never arrived, you know, like that's, that's don't look up. And, and I'd say pass, watch something more hopeful, watch a documentary about climate change or something. Like you'll feel better at the end. At least that'll have footage of like butterflies, <laughs> sunrise, uh, somewhere in there. Like don't look up. It's just, just the downer. So that's don't look up. It's, it's a weird feature to talk about. I'm glad we watched it on the show in a way it's bold cinema and I respect it for that. And speaking of bold cinema, Andy, what are we watching next week? We're actually going to go on break because there are no new releases because Morbius let us down and there's nothing else. Uh, I'm not sure if, uh, oh, you know what, what that, that horror movie, the, uh, the black mask or something that made black phone, the black phone. Yes. That was supposed to either come out in January or maybe early February that got pushed as well. So we're taking a break, uh, for at least next week. And then we'll uh, probably be back with some more, see what's on streaming, maybe catch up on, uh, some Oscar stuff we may have missed, uh, but not nothing else to see in January. What do you think is going to make more money opening weekend, Morbius or black phone? Oh, They're both that, terrible. It, battle, <laughs> battle of, of mediocrity. Probably it's Morbius. True. I bet one of those movies comes up on our worst of list. Black. I mean, maybe black phone's got something redeeming, but it just looks, it just looks flat. Nothing like a movie with like six child actors, huh? To, <laughs> to fuel I was the like, plot. I was like, is this starring it? Ethan Hawke? Just like it. Yeah, it looks. It kind of looks like Stranger Things. Yeah, it's Stranger it's, it's it. Be something. Yeah. But yeah, taking next week off. We will return the week after with something solid. Uh, in the meantime, check out the Last Duel on HBO. I think I probably will. Uh, I know Pig is on H is on Hulu as well. Uh, the Nicolas Cage film Nightmare Alley is coming to HBO at the beginning of February. Kingsman coming February 18th to Hulu. There's some decent stuff coming down the pipe. So even if you can't go see it at the movies, you can watch it at home. And if you enjoyed the podcast and what we're doing here on Offscript Film Review, the best way you can support us is just subscribe. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform to get new episodes of the show delivered straight to you every single Tuesday, except for next week next week because we have the week off because nothing's coming out because it's January. Uh, you can find us on Facebook where we live stream the show every week via video. Our YouTube archive is up as well. If you want to follow us over there, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we've got a website, offscriptfilmreview.com, and you can mail us correspondence at offscriptfilmreview.com. Mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. That's it. That's the address. Mail at offscript. Yeah, that's the one. And with that, I think that wraps the show. Episode 163 in the can. Uh, I don't believe it. We're already at the end of it. My God, I hope some stuff starts coming out soon, Andy. We need films. Yeah. We need fresh blood on this podcast. We got to have something good. So from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bolt Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.